I'll be reading from Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. I'll be reading from the ESV. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither they will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Well, thank you, Donald. We are very blessed by you and Steph and your ministry here at the church. I will say, uh, we're, Jenna and I are very thankful for you leading the child dedication class, and, and we know how to parent better because of you guys. So thank you so much. And if you haven't taken that, you should. Uh, we'd be helpless without it. But good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. So uh, you might be wondering why I'm up here and not Austin. So my name is John Petticord, and I am a pastoral assistant here. Um, you, might be, you might know that the Cleveland Marathon and Half Marathon are going on today. And between Austin and I, we decided one of us should preach and one of us should run. Austin drew the short straw, so he's there this morning, and I'm here with you guys. Um, but in all seriousness, a good pastor is a hard thing to find. So if, if you could pray for Austin, that he would make it to the finish line and be back here next Sunday. He's going to need our prayers and all of our help, guys. I know he's working hard. There we go. Give it up for Austin. He's going to watch this, too. He'll see that. Um, so again, uh, it is such a, a gift and, and an honor uh, for me to be up here this morning. My wife, Jenna, and my two girls, Bailey and Riley, have fallen in love with this church. We, we've been here for a little over a year and a half, uh, and we couldn't feel more welcomed into this church family. We could not feel more blessed by all of your friendship and your fellowship, and so to be up here today is a great joy. Um, and to be honest, it really goes well with what Austin talked about last week. If you remember, he kind of harped on this idea of there's really two ways to live. Um, we can live for ourselves and for the world, or we can live for the Lord. And what's interesting about this passage we have here today in Luke 16 is that we really, in a way, get a case study of exactly that. One person who's lived a life selfishly, luxuriously, and another person who's lived a very different life, a life with a lot less, but they end up in two very different places, right? They go through something that all of us will eventually go through, which is death, and really we get to see, okay, two lives lived out, two very different outcomes. Um, and so as we go into that, would you join me in praying? I know Donald did a great prayer, but you can't pray too much. So let's pray as we open up the Bible this morning together. 
Father God, we come to you thankful and grateful for this beautiful day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you that we get to gather together in your name and open up your scripture. God, we thank you that there is power in your word. We thank you that it's out of, out of your decision that this is what we're going to be opening today, Lord, and we pray that you would meet us here. Would we leave here, God, not just knowing more facts about the book of Luke or feeling like better Christians, God, would we leave this place more in love with the Savior, Jesus Christ? Or would you use the words of your scripture and the words from my mouth to bring you glory and to draw us closer to you? Amen. So a little bit about my background and how I got here. Uh, I really came to know the Lord in a real way through a ministry called Young Life. Um, some of you might have heard of it. I know Randy Nichol is a legend in the Young Life world. Uh, my wife Jenna does Young Life staff here in Cleveland. Uh, there's a few Young Life folks here in the room. But essentially, in its essence, what Young Life is, it's, it's an outreach ministry to adolescents. So anywhere from middle school students to college students. And, and really, the bulk of the work is done with high school students. And that's where I was reached. Uh, by the Lord's providence, my Young Life leader moved onto my street three houses down from me. So I, I never had a choice whether or not to go. I would just, he would drive by and he'd pick me up, which my parents were cool with it. My dad's here. Thanks for letting me go. Didn't even know that guy. Um, but and then we went, we went, we went to, I went to Young Life stuff all the time. And I remember like my first big Young Life event uh, was this thing called Fall Weekend, which is a weekend retreat essentially, but it, it's designed for students who don't know Jesus. And so literally the whole gospel is presented at this thing. Um, and that was, I, I went into it thinking that I already knew all this stuff. And there was a specific quote uh, that I, I, I will never forget. It's still such a core part of really what's led me to really follow Jesus. And it's a quote from a book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. And so the speaker gets up here, and I'll, and I'll read the quote. Um, and this quote, it, it jarred me to my core because honestly, it flipped on its head everything that I thought my faith was. And so we'll read it here. If you have your notes, it's at the very top. It says this. It says, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first when I read it, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life, before you give an account to your creator, be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ on the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. This is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. So when I heard that quote as a 15-year-old in, in 2008, I was incredibly upset. In my mind, what I thought being a Christian was, was if I do enough good things, if I stay out of trouble, if I don't cuss and I don't, you know, hang out with the wrong people, that God will hook me up with the things that I want. Like, my vision for the Christian life was like, if I'm a good enough guy like Tim Tebow, I'll be a D1 football player and play in the NFL. And as you can see, that didn't work out for me. It didn't happen. 
Um, and so what really shook me about this quote was that it was basically saying everything that I thought the deal and I that God had was, was, was actually a lie. That all the things I had been wanting and investing my life into were going to do nothing but leave me empty-handed when it came to the end of my life. And I would go to God and say, what do I have? All these things I've invested in mean nothing. Um, and John Piper in this quote, again, it's this tragedy. He gives us this idea of a wasted life. And again, in this scripture, we really do get a picture of that with this rich man, a man who has acquired a lot for himself, but in the end, it's all for naught. And so he tells us here, Piper says, how to waste your life. And, and my goal this morning um, is to how, tell us how to avoid that. How do we avoid the tragedy of a life wasted? Um, it's a big undertaking for the pastoral assistant this morning to tell you how to not waste your life, but we're going to try that this morning. And so the first point, here we go. The first point, how to avoid the tragedy of a wasted life, live with a selfless mindset. Live with a selfless mindset. Look at this rich man. This rich man, you know, he's got everything. He's got purple linens. He feasts luxuriously, sumptuously. Um, he's a guy that the world would look at and say, good job. You've done it. Like, you worked hard for this. You know, maybe he invested in cryptocurrency and got out at just the right time. He's got a nice little nest egg for him. He's worked hard, and the world would say, well done. That's what I want. And then me, before I knew Christ, that's what I wanted. Um, but ultimately, we see something's wrong, right? He fails to do something. He fails to notice that right outside his gates, there's a man, Lazarus, who's in great need. He either doesn't notice him or he doesn't care that he's there, but either way, he misses it. Why does he miss it? Well, I think part of it is probably his life is so clouded with things he's acquired and this empire he's built for himself that he fails to notice other people anymore. And I think, you know, since I've been a Christian in 2008, one of the things that's kind of a mainstay of following Jesus is that we learn to avoid certain things. We learn to put ourselves in situations for success, to avoid sin, and, and to really point ourselves towards Jesus. You know, we, we avoid, you know, being in the wrong place at the wrong time or hanging with the wrong people. But what I struggle to avoid, and maybe you do the same, is I struggle to avoid luxury in the same way. Now, not that having nice things is a sin, but do you ever wonder about the more and more we acquire for ourselves, do you ever stop and think, maybe this will blind me to other people. Maybe I'm more centered on myself than thinking about my neighbor and the people to my left and to my right. Um, do we think about that? Do we train ourselves to, to look at, to orient our lives in ways that we will see other people and not cloud our vision? Um, so again, what, what does this man do wrong? The rich man, you know, he's, he's maybe clouded by his, his luxury, but he also fails to do something really simple. And Austin talked a lot about this last week, right? To, to love his neighbor. And Lazarus is, is obviously this man's neighbor. He's right outside his gates. Um, Galatians 5.14 says this, that for the whole law is summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and if there's any passage of scripture that you want to have a hold of you, it's Matthew 22, 36 through 39, right? The greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, the core of being a Christian, the core of, of walking this Christian life is loving God and loving the people that he's put around you, the people that he's put at your gates, just like Lazarus for this rich man. Um, you know, I, I just got done teaching an evangelism workshop here at the church for a couple months, and it was a great time. We had a great, a great class. Everybody got an A+, plus. well done. Um, but one of the reoccurring things, the first time we met, I would always say, well, why are we here? And a lot of times people would say, like, I want to do evangelism. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to make an impact on someone else's life. I just don't know where the opportunities are. I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to start. Um, 
There's a movie I love. I'm a football coach to my core. I've coached football for years, and and there's a great football movie called Any Given Sunday, Uh, and there's a locker room speech in it like any good football movie has, and, you know, Al Pacino is the coach, and so it's really hard not to do the Al Pacino voice when quoting this movie, but he gives this locker room speech, um, and he's talking about He says, football is a game of inches, and the inches we need are everywhere. It's so hard not to sound like Al Pacino when I do it. But I think essentially the Christian life is the same way, that the opportunities to serve and love, it's really a game of inches. It's small things, and they're everywhere around us. You know, maybe it's not as as glaringly obvious as a man who's languishing at the end of your driveway with sores all over his body. Maybe it's not that perfectly obvious. Maybe it's the person you work with that you know something's going on in their life. They're struggling. They need help. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's, the, you know, when people at work ask you, oh, what'd you do this weekend? Do you, do you include that you came here? Do you include that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus? The opportunities are endless, and they're everywhere. And again, I think sometimes we tend to overcomplicate this. Um, I was a football coach. I've now transitioned into coaching a three-year-old soccer for my daughter, Bailey. Very different experience, very different game. Uh, if you've coached it before, God bless you. I'm learning, I, I don't know if I'll, it's, it's a hard gig. I, I, it's a hard gig. Uh, but one of the things I've learned is that, you know, in young life, I've grown accustomed to, like, controlled chaos. This is just pure chaos. <laughs> like, the lines, the ball, the, like, none of it means anything to these kids. And, you know, I found myself the, I, repeating the same lines over and over again, and it's the very basic of the game. It's just kick the ball into the net. Like, that is 95% of what I tell kids. I'm literally picking up three-year-olds and turning them towards the goal and say, the ball goes in that net. And I don't even have time to explain to keep the ball from going in their net. It's just like, just move the ball this way. Um, and yeah, it's hysterical. And, but anyway, I do think in the same way, there's the, the verses like Galatians 5.14 and Matthew 22, 36-39 that really simplify and boil down what it is to be a Christian and how to live with that mindset Love God and love your neighbor. It's that simple. Kick the ball into the net. The opportunities are everywhere. Live in a way when you walk outside your door every morning, you say, God, thank you for this day. How can I love you with all that I am? And show me the opportunities. Show me the Lazaruses at my gates, Lord, that you're calling me to love. Live with a selfless mindset. The second point, live with an eternal perspective. You know, again, these two men, we see a little glimpse of their life, but they both have the same end, right? They both die, and they both go to different places. Um, Living with an eternal perspective, one of the best ways I've seen this laid out, I don't know if he was the one who came up with it, but Francis Chan has a famous video where he kind of takes a rope, like from that end of the room all the way to that, and this is supposed to be eternity. You know, this is all of time, and he takes like a tiny little, like maybe inch-long piece of red tape and puts it on there, he says, this is your life here. This is your life on earth. And his point in that is like, we think so much and, and, and put so much into this tiny part of this much larger uh, scheme. And I think, you know, what the rich man does is exactly that. He has built up a great life in this tiny little speck of what eternity is. And ultimately, he pays the price for that. Um, this is a passage, you know, that it's impossible to look at this scripture and not address the reality of where this rich man goes, and he goes to hell. Um, Many times in our culture, we try uh, to diminish hell. Um, We even try to say it doesn't exist. Um, 
And you can't look at this scripture and, and tell me that this man doesn't go to a real place that is horrible, that is devastating. Um, maybe, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to talk about, but, you know, I think um, in a way, it's like if you went to see the doctor and, you know, the doctor had some really hard news. They looked at your scan and they saw, There's, this is big, this is, something's really wrong. But then they think, oh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a Monday. I'm just trying to get to lunch. Like, I'm just gonna, everything's good. You know what? Scans came back great. Like, what a terrible, terrible doctor that would be. Be evil, really. And in the same way, if somebody can open the scriptures and see something like this and see the reality that how we are, if we, our hearts are not oriented towards God, if we reject God, if we say thanks but no thanks and turn our own way, there's eternal consequences for that. And it's laid out here. We are separated from God in a place of torment. And if anyone opens the scriptures and doesn't tell you that, they're just like that bad doctor. They're just like somebody who's not telling you the reality and the truth of what the Bible has laid out for us. That it is of the utmost importance how we view God. A.W. Tozer has a great quote on this. He says, the most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about God. And that's proven true here. The rich man didn't think much of God at all. He did his own thing, he lived his own life, and he paid the price for it. He ended up in torment. Um, and again, this is, a, this is a whole can of worms to open up that, you know, the pastor with a PhD, you can email him and talk to him about these things. There you go, Austin. Um, but a lot of us look at this and say, well, how then, how can God be all loving and still allow a place like hell to exist? How can he send people there? Um, and again, that's a, that's a whole another subject, but the best way I can try and explain it is this, is that God, in order to be all-loving, has to be just. He has to be just in the same way. I mean, let me put it this way. It's like if, if somebody wronged you or someone in your family in a great way, did something horrible, and you show up to court to see the perpetrator brought to justice, you know, you're going to support your friend or whoever was wronged, and the judge gets up there, and in the same way as the doctor I just described before, goes, ah, you know what? It's been a long day, everything's good, just, just head out, head out, no, no harm, no foul. That'd be a terrible, terrible judge. And in the same way, if God viewed us breaking the law and rejecting him in the same way, there's no way he could actually love us. The reality is our hearts and how they're oriented towards God is of the utmost importance. It's easy to look at the scripture too and to think, okay, rich man, goes to, rich man goes to hell, poor man goes to heaven. Is that just like a karma thing? Well, it's not, right? We know from the greater context of scripture that the only thing, the only factor that decides where we spend eternity is our genuine heart orientation towards God, which is evidenced most clearly through the, how we love the people around us of the utmost importance. When we live with that in mind, with that perspective, it changes the way we look at everything. Um, we lost a great man in the faith this week. Some of you might have heard Tim Keller passed away. Um, absolute hero of the faith, had a massive impact on me and many, I'm sure many people in this room. Um, and if you followed along with kind of the, his health declining over the last month or so, all of the quotes that came out from him were so much just richly in this idea of an eternal perspective to know that this life is just a small piece. Um, he kept just saying, I I'm ready. I want to go meet Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to meet my, I'm ready to meet Jesus. Um, which again, we have that hope when we know we love Jesus. We're, go we're not going to the place the rich man goes. But ultimately, Tim Keller's last words, there's just him and his wife as, as he breathed his last breath. And he said this, there is no downside to me leaving, not in the slightest. That's an eternal perspective. 
to know like when we have invested our life and given our life to Christ, we know where we're going and we can have peace about that. Live with an eternal perspective. The last point here in how not to waste your life is to live with urgency in the gospel. One of the saddest, hardest things about this passage, you know, obviously the rich man is suffering, but but you see in verse 27 this deep regret that he has. Um, You know, he's still, you know, in a way, he's still pretty selfish. He's still asking for the first thing he begs for is for some water for him. When he doesn't get that, then he thinks about his brothers. Um, And he's still talking around Lazarus. He's like talking to the manager in a way. He's like, let me talk to Abraham. You send Lazarus to do this stuff. He's still totally self-centered. But he does, he does eventually get to a place where he thinks of his five brothers and he's like, I blew it. I blew it. I didn't love them. I didn't tell them. I, 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 they, they, they'll never know how to avoid this place of peril that I'm in. What a gift is it to us today that Christ, you know, as he's telling this parable, he's given us this gift that we don't have to live with that regret. Is there anything more devastating to get to the end of your life and think, I wish I would have loved these people? Who are the people that come to your mind today? Your five brothers, if you will, that you're like, I wish I would have told them. I wish I would have loved them. I wish I would have told them how to avoid the path I'm on. Well, what's the answer that he gets? He says, you know, send someone. Send someone to tell my brothers. Um, And and Abraham says to him, they have the Moses and the prophets. Let them believe them. It's a massive statement. A massive statement that essentially there, what he's being told, the rich man, is they have the Bible. They have the scripture. They have all that they need. And a quick aside, do we realize the power that is in the word of God? How sufficient it is that this book has all that we need to be saved, all that we need to live a life in the way that God designed it, in the life that ends us up with him in eternity. The scripture is living and active. It's powerful. When you wake up in the morning, do you realize that this can change your life every day? That when I'm in my best spot spiritually, I know that I need this scripture. I need time to meet the Lord in his word more than I need oxygen or more than I need water. This is where life is found. The Lord speaks to us through his scripture that is totally sufficient, totally sufficient. But the other thing he asks, you know, he he asks again, he says, well, no, if they had a dead man, if someone could die and go to the other side and come back and warn them, then they would believe then they would believe. And again, it's reiterated, scripture sufficient. But do you see the irony in this? Who's telling this parable? It's Jesus, the man who died and rose again, the man who came to this earth and lived a perfect life to show us how to avoid a wasted life like this. He showed us how to live in the way that God designed, that if we follow him and we accept that free gift that he gave us on the cross, He died for you and for me to pay the penalty for our sin, the penalty that would have put us in exactly the spot the rich man ended up. All of us, apart from Christ, have earned a spot right next to this rich man. We have all turned away from Jesus. If we break one letter of a law, we're guilty of breaking all of it. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ who died to pay the penalty for each and every one of our sins so that we don't have to live with this regret that the rich man does. We don't have to get to the end of our life and dread where we're going. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Where is your life invested right now? Maybe, you know, like we see with this rich man, 
we see that his family had the Bible. Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. The rich man had the Bible in his life, in his home, but he didn't listen to it. He didn't believe it. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you come every week. Maybe you have just, I've called myself a Christian because that's what my parents are. That's what I've done. But I've never actually accepted this for myself. If that's you, today can be the day. Today can be the day that you go from just a head knowledge of this to a heart connection. And that ultimately is the key of where you'll spend eternity. Where is your heart invested? And maybe you're here today and, and you think, well, I've, I don't have anything to do with the Bible. I, I, think, it's, I think it's all a waste of time. I'm, I'm totally against that. One, you could not be in a better place. We are so happy that you're here and we hope you keep coming around. But the other thing I will say, again, it's not just a bummer or a sad thing when we reject God and miss out on that here. Yes, your life here will be a little harder. It's sad. There are grave consequences for that. That if you reject God, there is, we have clear direction of where that will end us up. Um, accept Christ today. Today, you can accept him as your savior, savior the, the free gift of grace on the cross that is given to us. Have you done that? Today could be that day. There's no, it's not an accident that you're here this morning. Um, and so as we, as we come to the end of our time here, uh, it wouldn't be a Sunday at Providence if we didn't quote an old English man. And so if you see here at the end, we have this poem. There's a poem on your notes by a man named C.T. Studd. Um, C.T. Studd was a great cricket player in England back in the day. Again, this is right on par. Austin would love this. Um, he's a great cricket player back in the day, and he gave it all up. He gave up his cricket career to go and be a missionary. He went and he did mission work in, in India and in China, and he died as a missionary in the Congo, in Africa. Um, and all throughout his mission work, people would stop and ask him, why, why'd you give it up? You know, why'd you give up this cricket career that you had? And he got asked it enough that he wrote this poem to kind of explain. This is just a small part of the poem. I would encourage you to look up the whole thing, but this is just a couple lines from it. The poem is titled, Only One Life, Twill Soon Be Passed, by C.T. Studd. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Ultimately, the best and really only way to avoid a wasted life is to give your life to Jesus completely and entirely. Um, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your son Jesus. Lord, we thank you that in the cross we have been given life. Lord, that we do not have to live like the rich man. We do not have to come to the end of our life with regret. God, we pray that we would walk in that. Lord, that we would be people who live in a way where we see our neighbors and we love them. Lord, that we would have an eternal perspective and know that most of our existence will be with you and not here. And God, I pray that ultimately we wouldn't waste a day of one, knowing for ourselves who you are and your gift on the cross, but also we would tell everybody. We wouldn't get to the end of our life and have five brothers on our mind that we wish we would have loved. Thank you for your word. Jeremy, we pray. Amen.